try it again. Did y'all know that I mentioned last week <laughs> that we're going to start a new series today on forgotten gifts? And what this was is I was just thinking about some different things, and I, the way that we work in the church and, and gifts and abilities that God gives through the Holy Spirit, as we read earlier and we'll read again here in a second, that maybe don't get uh, a lot of attention and maybe even are overlooked. And I would go even further, especially in the one we're looking at today, and would say are endangered species in a sense. Uh, there are gifts that people have, and maybe they don't understand how valuable they are. Maybe uh, the church doesn't understand how valuable those gifts are. But the, they're things that can be absolutely life-altering and life-changing for the people that you would minister to through the implement gifts of the Spirit. Some of them are things that can be confused with, and it is a confusion, they can be confused with natural talents and abilities. When we read in Romans 12 or in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of the Spirit, and there's kind of two different lists there and, and kind of different categories in a way of gifts, we, we too often think about our own just kind of natural-born talents. Those two are from God, okay? Every good and perfect thing. And even in a teacher I had like to say, that's perfect and imperfect. The good is the imperfect and the perfect is the perfect. But every good and imperfect thing is from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, right? That's what the book of James tells us. That includes our talents and our abilities. But there are some things that we were not born with, that we did not learn in school or in service to other people, but that God has just given us as Christians by his Spirit, and as Romans 12 says, and according to our faith in him. And sometimes we cheapen those gifts by thinking, well, that's just, you know, that's just something that different people do, or that's, you know, that's a, a talent that I've had or whatever, and we, we cheapen them and don't give glory where it belongs. Maybe we don't credit people who use those gifts sometimes enough for the good things that they're doing in the name of Jesus with those gifts. So I'm going to highlight some of those. Uh, we're not going to go just through a list in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians gifts and go down every single one because some of them get a lot of attention. Some gifts get a lot of attention, and so then people think those are the only gifts that matter. And that has never been true. It's never going to be true. God works through every person, and he works through every gift that he gives. Okay, So that's kind of our, our basis that we're going to come at this from, is with all of that understanding. And now I'm going to start my timer. That was all for free. Look at that. It's okay. There's less time on there than there, than there usually is. So in a way, in a way, it'll all, it'll all even out, I am sure. I need a clicker. I don't know why, but, you know, for some reason... I need a clicker. Uh, the first gift that I want to look at this morning is hospitality. And this is one that really and truly, it, there, is, there is the natural ability of hospitality where people, you know, have gifts of uh, having a Hobby Lobby vomit all over their house and then having you eat cheese off a board of wood. You know, there's that kind of hospitality. I like nailed three cable channels at once. Did you see that? That was pretty good. Uh, but we... <laughs> now I'm distracted by that. We think about that as being hospitality, and I, that's a way of implementing hospitality. 
And some of the people who do that are definitely people who would have the spiritual gift of hospitality. But that's not what we ought to think of first. And we also should never think that that's what you're necessarily shooting at or trying to obtain. Hospitality comes in very many forms, and it can be very small things. It can be an arm around somebody. It can be a handshake, just welcoming someone into, for example, this morning, coming into to worship. It can be as simple as somebody noticing you and welcoming you and inviting you in. Hospitality, especially that spiritual gift of being someone who notices, and that is a gift, is invaluable to the church. Absolutely invaluable. And it's something our world is like somebody wandering through the Sahara after a plane crash for days, thirsting for. Because of things we've been through, but even even bigger than that, as we'll talk about, uh, people need to be noticed. People need to be welcomed. People need to be valued. And hospitality communicates all those things. Welcoming people in, having them at your table, and that is part of the deal. Uh, is is just a gift from God and a tool in his chest that we really need to master. Now, all that said, I have one more little asterisk that I want to give you before we move on. Even if it's not your spiritual gift, hospitality is a command of God of everyone who is on the mission of the kingdom of God. That's every believer. If you were ever baptized into Christ, you are called to be, in some form, hospitable. Again, it doesn't mean you have to know how to make a charcuterie board. It just means that you are called to notice, to welcome, to give value, to listen, and to encourage people through hospitality in some form or another. Okay? So... There is all of that. I think that's. I think for now that's all the asterisks that I will have. But I'll probably put in a, through a few uh, parenthetical statements, as is my habit, right? As as is my habit. First, I want to talk about the situation and why it's so important—not just important, but important right now. Which I think some of you intrinsically know. Probably people with this gift know this. Uh, I mentioned about COVID. I know we're not supposed to say the C word anymore, but, you know, pray for all those people who still get it, because right now it's a mild case. It seems like most people run around, but it's still a problem. We have members here who are dealing with it. you got flu people that are, are dealing with sickness. You've got all kinds of things. RSV, strep. It's all running. I love that somebody coughed right there. Uh, no self-consciousness. I'm not calling you out. Uh, nobody look. But lots of things are going around town. Because of the big one, though, we got more isolated, but we only got more isolated. Hey, if you're familiar with the book from the 90s, Bowling Alone, then you know that it's all, there have already been plenty of studies in the 90s, started in the 80s, about why we are so distant. Okay, Our social distancing started well before the government ever said a word. Our problem with not having good connections started well before any disease or, or government things or anything like that. It started, and, and Bowling Alone addresses some of this, it started when we got air conditioning. Is that a weird thing? But 
But people who, uh, sociologists will tell you that air conditioning was a huge cultural shift to the, I mean, it's a mixed bag. They're good things. I love it. But, you know, I will tell you, when it's 108, this man thanks the Lord for air conditioning. It is a gift of God. But it it did draw us inside more. It drew us home more. It drew us off of our porches so much that by the 80s, unless you went and built it yourself, you couldn't get a house with a front porch. You know the era a house was built in by whether or not it has one. And there aren't many even left that are older around here. Because most of the homes around here were built after the social shift caused by us being more comfortable in than out. Well, for a while, that drew people to invite people into their home. We weren't going to be on the porch. Come on in and you know, we'll go and sit at the kitchen table and play 42, whatever. But that's gone too now. And so he writes in that book, back in the 90s, it's not COVID's fault, back in the 90s, about how much we have lost connection with one another. Hospitality is God's weapon against the distancing and the isolation that our world is suffering from more than anything else. And the church already had a call to it before the problem arose. Does God know what he's doing? We already had the answer. Will we implement it is the only question. Will we by faith be obedient? A mindset changed back in the 80s and 90s of, of regarding privacy in our homes as well. And we started staying in our homes and then we started cloistering in our homes like monks and nuns and no one shall ever pass the gate. We started hiding from guests. I think that's the most ridiculous thing ever. But I've knocked enough doors in the 80s and 90s to know this is real. It's like, I see you in there, people. Close the blinds before getting under the dining room table. Come on. There's a great old joke that Klein Payton used to tell. He, he went to go visit somebody and he knocks on the door. And he knows somebody is in there and they won't come to the door. Finally, he knocks and knocks. The guy comes to the door and chews Klein out for for disturbing his peace. You know, like, how dare you knock on my door? Well, you don't want somebody to knock on your door. Take it down and put up some bricks. You put a door there to welcome people. You got your welcome mat out there and all of that. Anyway, the guy was cranky and he chewed Klein out. This is what Klein did. He goes around to the back door and he knocks on the door. Guy comes to the door angry and Klein, he said, why get rid of it? All right. I told you to go away. He said, I just came back here to see if the guy back here was any nicer than the one at the front. Okay. Maybe we need to do some of that. I don't know. I don't know. There's another joke, but I won't tell it today. I got to save something for next week. Uh, Let's talk about the distance, because it, it, it gets more intense with each generation to the point that Generation Z uh, has a much higher rate. They, they measure this uh, societally to see where people are, has a much higher than average rate of loneliness. Let me give you a uh, little article here that I got from Forbes. 
I'm going to read that from here. That's not down there where I can really see it all that well. Loneliness is a growing epidemic in most developed countries. It's not just American, but, you know, we are more intense than some, not all. Young people aged 16 to 24 feel more lonely than any other age group, including people aged 65 and over. That means that the that on average, Generation Z feels more lonely than people in the nursing home. We're aware of one end of that spectrum. Are we aware of the other? That's sad. That's heartbreaking. So 73% of Gen Z report, report feeling alone sometimes or always. Loneliness can be as damaging to health as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. And people who experience social isolation have a 32% higher risk of early death. It's a strange paradox. Gen Z are hyper-connected in the virtual world, but socially disconnected. The Internet, mobile phones, and video games have opened a multiverse of new connections and opportunities, yet digital interactions have failed to replace the need to connect on an emotional level in a physical world or in the physical world. Some of us have been aware of that for a long time, and you just kind of intrinsically know that. But we need to not just know it. God doesn't call us to know the problem. God calls us to address the problem. And the problem owns, or the solution isn't banning phones. You know, it's not a negative solution. Not a, a punishment. The solution is the love expressed through connection in a way that Christians have the possibility of doing better than anybody else because of the Spirit that works through us. There's an opportunity here to fill a need uh, to do so. But we can't. And we can't wait for somebody else to do it. That's one of our biggest mistakes. We wait for someone else. There is no one else. God has called you to be His shock troops in this war of the Spirit in the world. He's called you to fight with weapons that are so very different from the rest of the world. He calls you to fight of kindness, of mercy, of welcome. This is how He calls us to work. And this is how He calls us to change things. And one of those really great weapons is hospitality. You look at the ministry, for example, of Jesus, and where you find... I don't know why I point this at the screen down here. That does absolutely nothing. Uh, I just... I don't know why I need to tell you that I don't know why I do that. Uh, Jesus all the time is at tables, and I hit on this on a regular basis, because this is where Jesus does so much of his work, and it's not for us to ignore. When he wants to change Zacchaeus' life, where does he go? He goes to Zacchaeus' table. You didn't know that the gift of hospitality didn't mean that you had to have people in your home. You could just say, hey, can I come over to your house? You can spread the gift of hospitality, right? It, it just, I'll be hospitable at, hospitable, hospitable at your house today. It doesn't have to be at your house. If you're worried about that part, you can have the gift, and that doesn't have to be where it is. Go to lunch at United. That's what some people here do, and they practice at United the gift of hospitality. Don't think this is about houses. 
although houses were given to you as a gift of God, to work that in a special way, you do have an environment in your home that is more special than anywhere else. And it was a gift meant to be shared. Say, so, well, I don't, you know, my home's are too humble. No such thing. I don't know if you've read this book, but I read in a book one time where it said that God actually loves the humble. He loves them so much that he exalts the humble. You think that might apply to your humble home? I think it might. Because hospitality isn't showing off. Hospitality is showing up. Let your home be a tool. But if you're in a place where right now you're like, well, I don't know. Find a place. Be hospitable here. Become a, become a welcomer. Become somebody who, who helps people find their place. However you need to do that. Do that. Pray about it. Let God show you where he wants you to go specifically you to do that. Jesus borrowed people's homes all the time. He never owned one of his own. Was Jesus hospitable? Who felt more welcome at the table than that woman who washed his feet? Who felt more welcome at his table? It wasn't even his. Than Mary, while he talked with her about the kingdom of God. By the way, was expressing their gift however broken and flawed it might have been with their priorities, like Martha. Martha wasn't wrong to be hospitable. She just, you know, Jesus was telling her it doesn't have to be so complicated. It can be easy, Martha. Lighten up a little. Don't feel like you have to go overboard. Keep it simple. But do it. And Jesus will use your table just like he used Martha's. Just like he used the one at Simon's house. Simon wasn't even really all that willing. He was not hospitable. But God made it a hospitable place to be for a sinner who had found grace. Let God use your gift that way. Leonard Sweet wrote a book about this. Uh, From Tablets to Tables. It's a really pretty neat little book. Uh, I encourage you to read it if you'd like to kind of dive into this side of things. Even more in how Jesus uses the table to bring people to him. And this is what he said. If we were to make the table the most sacred object of furniture in every home, in every church, in every community, our faith would quickly regain its power and our world would quickly become a better place. Well, I'd be all for that. Would you like the world to be a better place? Every pageant winner ever got up and said, I'd like to make the world a better place. And that's that's the same thing for us. Well, let's do it then. The table is born... Excuse me, born. I don't know where I got the word. Oh, there is a word born later. The table is the place where identity is born. The place where the story of our lives is retold, reminded, and relived. I would add redeemed and restored. God is good when he works through us at the table. We let our hair down. Well, some of you can do that. We let our hair down at the table. There's just a, there's a different level of fellowship no matter where the table is, when we get together and when we grow together and when we laugh, cry, strengthen, and encourage together. I came across a list this week that I want to share with you. And I want to go to, uh, I never did read Romans 12, but he, Larry just did such a good job that we're going to stick with that reading. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18. And I want to read this right quick. 
Abraham is the father of faith, so we're going to let the father of faith speak to us here. Uh, I got a list from a guy named uh, Kirby John Caldwell. Kirby John Caldwell called the seven essentials. I'm just going to put them up there, and y'all can see those. Yes, they are. Uh, the seven essentials of hospitality. And I really like this list enough that I, I wanted to share it with you uh, here just right quick. But first, we need to read where this uh, list comes from. He got this from a reading of Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him at, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went and quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set it before them. And he stood by under them, by, or excuse me, he stood by under the tree while they ate. It's simple. We could get distracted by who these three visitors are. That's a whole other lesson. But it's so simple what he did. And it's clear that Abraham didn't even have a seven-point outline that he needed to go, okay, now what was I supposed to do again? Oh, okay. This was who he was by this point in his life. I would argue maybe this was Abraham's spiritual gift among others. Abraham is the father of faith. Abraham wasn't perfect, but Abraham got a lot right, and God honored him for it. This may be, this this character may be a part of why God used him so well. These are the seven things, and you've got them again. You've got them up there. But he said, first, you look, and what does he do? He greets them. I talked last week about we don't even do that anymore. People, they're coming up to my door. He didn't hide into the tent. He didn't close the door. He didn't pull up his sign. Oh, sorry, we're closed. None of that. Okay? I get it. Some people are extroverts. Some people are introverts. He didn't give the command to one or the other. Okay? He didn't. He gave it to all of us. That's just the way I am. If that's your excuse for not being hospitable, repent. And I'm serious. Repent. That's just the way I am? Why would a Christian who's been changed by the grace of God say such a thing? Make it that's just the way we were. Let God show you what you are to be and do it. He greeted them and he greeted them kindly and graciously. He entertained them enthusiastically. Oh, not this again. One more stranger come by my tent. Who is telling these people that I still have animals left to slaughter? None of that. None of that. He didn't even gripe at anybody like Martha did. So, you know, a little plus one there for Abraham. Enthusiastically and, and looking after every single need. Uh, he said, serve and see. And I liked this part. A lot of you had this memorized. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Be hospitable. Why? Don't forget to show hospitality because some 
have entertained angels unaware. And Abraham is like, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Some of you might have already done it and you don't even know it. My fear is always that some of us, myself included, have done this and not. We sure don't want that to happen, do we? So serve and then see how God shows up. And quite literally, God showed up. Honor both the humble and the haughty. Whoever comes to your door, show hospitality. Hospitality in the first century in the church was not about having your friends over so much as it was about being hospitable to people you don't even know. Serve and see and don't have a filter. No matter how humble, no matter how haughty, don't worry about it. Bring them to your table. Jesus sat at that table with anybody who'd come to it, didn't he? Still does, doesn't he? Ask the question, is there anything else? How can I help you? Something wrong with that? You know, the waiter you wish people were when you're out to eat, be that when people are at your table. Find out what's needed. And a little hint from my own experience here recently, don't forget the ice. I always forget the ice. Anyway, I don't put it in my coffee. You know, that would be wrong. So I forget the ice. But find out what's wrong. Have ice even if you don't use it. That sort of a thing. Okay. Tame the time. This is from Martha comes in. Looking at Abraham. Abraham kind of tamed the time. He went around, he, he, he got other people helping him, and then he took time to stand under the tree while they ate and relax and be a part of the experience and have the conversation. Don't be Martha and miss the opportunity, worried about all the details. Sit down, tame the time, be with them, be present. That's, after all, why you're doing it in the first place, is to be with those people. Remember what that's all about. And then finally, stand by your service. He stood under that tree. Why do you think he did that? One, to participate. One, to have conversation. Or two, to have conversation. We're going to have three ones. And then finally, what did he do that for? Because there's probably going to be another need. He's standing at the ready. When you have people at your table or when you're at theirs, be ready to see whatever need it is that God is going to open up. It may be physical. It may be spiritual. It may just be that you got to encourage somebody, laugh with somebody, and have a good time with them. And you have no idea how much that heals their soul. But be there. Stand by it. And be ready. Let's pray together.